Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your host, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, did Paul problematize anxiety because he was an ignorant first-century Jew who was unaware of the effectiveness of antidepressants? <laughs> so this is a bit of a, a comically long uh, title question, but Tim, why don't you just kick us off by uh, answering this um, absurd and, and comical question that I've posed for you today. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, when, you, <laughs> when you think about a question along those lines, uh, that certainly isn't the kind of question that most people are verbalizing. So I, I meet very few people, uh, particularly in counseling, who are going to word um, their, their objection essentially to what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying along those lines. But then, uh, you know, if you think about the actual logic of what they're saying, uh, it's hard to escape the conclusion that many people really do believe that we've learned significantly more about anxiety today than we did. Uh, you know, first century Jews might have known about anxiety. And there are many, many people who essentially believe that anxiety for them is a uh, quasi kind of medical problem that they need antidepressants or some um, other form of anti-anxiety medication to uh, to uh, take in order to help them to deal with basic problem of anxiety or worry. So there's, there's a great many people who basically respond to Paul's instruction, do not be anxious for anything, with a, a uh, comment to essentially say that they're not Paul. And, or, you know, often they'll even say they're not Jesus and that may be good enough for Paul. It may be good enough for Jesus, but they're, they're different. And, and, you know, science has essentially taught us now that this is basically a mental disorder. And so, uh, it is what it is. And, and so really, uh, there might not be a a whole lot of people who are going to phrase their objection in quite that way, unless they basically just uh, chucked any belief of the Bible a long time ago. Uh, but but uh, functionally, that's exactly what they're saying by uh, their actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, I, I think it's pretty safe to say if you are a person uh, with a beating heart in your chest, then you've probably dealt with the issue of anxiety in your own life. It seems just like a, uh, for 
for human beings, it seems like an inevitable, um, uh, you know, sort of trial or emotion or, or whatever you want to call it that everyone experiences multiple times during their life, not even just one single time, multiple times, honestly, probably even multiple times, uh, a day. And so it's, so I can, I can understand in one sense why there are plenty of people who are looking at what Paul has said in scripture and saying, all right, you know, cool, good for you, Paul, but I'm an, I'm a normal human being, <laughs> you know? I'm, yeah. Well, anxiety, like you're saying, anxiety is essentially a human, you know, the human problem mm-hmm. when you think about it. And so there, there's nothing that's more natural or normal for fallen human beings than to worry uh, or to be stressed out or to be anxious because, uh, you know, deep down we know that we are not in as much control as we think we, you know, there's been plenty of situations that all of us have found ourselves in that seem to be totally and completely out of control that are hopeless in certain ways that we don't uh, know how to handle them. And uh, we all realize that, you know, we, we're not God, like in a certain sense. We, we know that we can't just speak things into existence. And we, in order to make any kind of plans, we're dependent on a great many things to happen. And our plans often are uh, subject to uh, futility in that kind of way. And so, uh, you know, it's completely normal and rational and reasonable for fallen human beings without God, particularly to be filled with anxiety and worry for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, it seems when you read something like what Paul says in Philippians, when it comes to anxiety, it seems like Paul has a totally different view of anxiety compared to what we as a society in general, um, you know, how we think about anxiety, uh, and, and people who are, who are tempted to, to be anxious often. It seems like Paul has a totally different mindset and a completely different approach to anxiety than, you know, what, um, what most people today would uh, suggest when they're giving advice, when they're dealing with it themselves. Um, So primarily what I mean uh, for us today is it seems like, like you said a moment ago, anxiety is more, it's more often than not categorized as uh, like a biological issue, you know, whether it be certain chemical imbalances that you have or, you know, uh, uh, you've experienced some sort of, uh, traumatic event in your life that has now given you a, a, uh, you know, basically get out of jail free card, uh, excuse to feel anxiousness all the time. And so, so I wanted to just kind of pick your brain in terms of, uh, and, and maybe see if you could give us an explanation for why it is that it seems like nowadays we are categorizing anxiety as primarily um, a biological issue to begin with when it seems like, when it seems like maybe Paul wasn't treating it that way. So, so why are we doing what Paul wasn't seemingly doing? Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I think with the advent of secular psychology, one of the things that's happened is that sin categorically is now being labeled as sickness or illness. And, you know, the early psychologists, they had an intentional uh, agenda that they set out to accomplish. And they, they realized, I mean, for, for many years, you know, if you had a problem, you would essentially go to talk to, talk to a pastor about that kind of problem. And, you know, your early psychologist, Freud in general, they were the kind of individuals who were self-consciously attempting to uh, set out to create an alternative to soul care. 
to, to what they understood as soul care. And, uh, you know, individuals today, they know that the DSM, uh, the uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, this is the, uh, what psychologists use to make their diagnosis. But everyone knows that this is essentially psychology's Bible at that point. And so now we're dealing with a, a scenario or a situation where individuals set out to provide an alternative to soul care that was basically materialistic and based on the assumptions of evolution. And so, you know, if there is no God, then there is no such thing as objective morality. That's the way it works. And psychology is not dealing with uh, what uh, you might describe as objective morality. Uh, Psychology is dealing with what is and essentially is an attempt to categorize what is. And and there really is no objective overarching morality that undergirds uh, psychology in that kind of way. Uh, so when you think about these these kind of things, we, we're living in a society that's been heavily uh, psychologized, essentially. And, uh, you know, the, the truth is that if we are just, you know, uh, matter, um, you know, that's evolved over time, that we've just uh, complex life forms that evolved from simplistic life forms, and there is no such thing as objective morality, there is no such thing as objective truth, then what you're going to do is you're going to look around, you're going to look out at the world, and you're going to see that some individuals seem to be much more prone to worry or anxiety or fear than others. And what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to ask, well, what is it? What are normal levels of anxiety, worry, and fear? And then when you see abnormal levels, of anxiety, worry, and fear, you're basically just dealing with a different metaphysic. You're dealing with a different understanding of morality at that point. And, and you're just looking at what is, and you're basically trying to categorize what is. And any deviation from normal is not going to be viewed in normal, like in uh, moral terms. So any deviation from the normal is just going to be assumed uh, based on an atheist, uh, atheistic, uh, materialistic uh, kind of uh, ontology at that point. What, what you're doing is you're assuming that... Um, there must be some kind of organic problem that is causing this divergence from what is considered normal, if, if that makes sense at all. Uh, so whenever you see something abnormal, someone prone to different kinds of worry, uh, you're going to assume it must have a material, biological uh, root uh, cause to it, essentially. And so when you think about anxiety at that way, in that kind of way, it's basically just assumed to be some kind of medical problem, despite the fact that we have no science that is demonstrating that this is a medical problem. <laughs> this is just an assumption that we're taking by faith, that it must be medical. It must be like an individual. It must not be their fault because we're not even thinking in moral terms at that point. We don't have a doctrine of sin that is un- undergirding this project, essentially. Uh, which uh, So we don't believe that individuals are created in the image of God nor moral beings, and there is no transcendent being that's in control of, any, of everything that exists. And so worry is just seen as the normal state of affairs. And mm-hmm. essentially, it must be some sort of medical problem. And so, you know, when you think about what psychology is actually doing at that point, there's basically five major types of anxiety disorders in the DSM. Uh, You have what's called general anxiety disorder. Uh, You have obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and social anxiety disorder. And so these are the five major labels that are being put on this. And there's this assumption essentially that these are all basically biological in nature. And it's not something that can be proven. It's just something that must be assumed. It's a presupposition essentially in order to do business. And so now we're living in a society that's so dominated by psychology that we we adopt all of these uh, symptoms. Uh, uh, that, or we, we adopt all of these labels and we basically 
I mean, when's the last time you heard anyone challenge something like obsessive compulsive disorder in any way? Mm -hmm. Or when is the last time you heard anyone challenge post-traumatic stress disorder in any way? I mean, essentially anyone who has one of these labels, you perceive them instantaneously to be a victim of some kind of biological problem. Uh, you know, the same thing with social anxiety disorder or, you know, uh, general anxiety disorder, all of these panic disorder, you assume based on the labels that there must be some kind of organic etiology or um, that that undergirds the problem, that they must be some kind of victim. And that's, we're trained in that and that's the air we breathe and that's where all of our sympathies go. And so that's, you know, that's part of what's happening there. Yeah. So, oh, keep going, keep going. Well, I mean, it's basically just a clash of worldviews. You have a worldview that's just materialistic and atheistic based on evolution. It basically just assumes everyone's basically good. And then, uh, so then you look at an individual who seems to be you know, struggling with some problem and you consider them basically good. And then you extrapolate out from that, that they must be a victim. Then it must be some kind of glitch in the programming. Uh, and that's the only thing that you can think of. And, but then the problem is that, you know, biblical worldview basically says that we're all created evil. And uh, we refuse to honor God in our thoughts and our foolish hearts become darkened. And so we're given over to all sorts of uh, problems of thoughts and behaviors that are moral in nature instead of just being fundamentally, you know, everything must be some kind of um, you know, glitch, essentially. Um, you know, listening to your response there, one of the things that I couldn't help but thinking, and this is just a side note, not necessarily direct, uh, directly related to anxiety, but isn't it pretty interesting to think about all of the issues that are presented when you adopt uh, an evolution uh, or a worldview based on uh, evolution? Um, you know, I, I remember I just read a book by John MacArthur that was titled The Battle for the Beginning. And right at the, it's this book explaining why uh, it's so important that we read. Uh, the creation story or the creation account in Genesis um, and, and take God at his word there. And, and the reason for that, according to MacArthur was because the way that you interpret the first few chapters in Genesis is going to inherently affect the way that you interpret the rest of the Bible basically. And, and I think what he really meant there was, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, the way uh, that, the way that you view how everything came to be, how all creation came to be, uh, is directly related to how much you trust God's word. Um, it's true, and I mean, I think uh, you know, with the way that this uh, debate has often been approached in the Christian world, is essentially, uh, you know, it you you put like this belief in creationism alongside you know, some sort of old earth cosmology along those lines and try to argue that, well, you know, good Christians can disagree on this and it's not really all that important. And it's just, you know, interpretation of the literary genre of Genesis and all that. But then the problem though, is that these are significant. Uh, this is a significant difference of starting point mm -hmm. that you're putting here. And, you know, it's not just, I mean, you obviously have pressure from the outside to, 
you know, believe in an old earth and some kind of theistic evolution or something along those lines. That's not pressure. That's not, you know, coming from the text itself, but it's more than just a debate over creationism over against some sort of theistic evolution. It's a, it's a debate essentially over God's uh, ability to define the world that we live in. So, uh, to define the parameters of, of the world. And it's not just, uh, you know, as you're saying, it's not just, uh, you know, some sort of secondary issue that good Christians can disagree on. It, it, it entirely does uh, matter whether or not we believe uh, that you know everything came from a creator God, or if human beings essentially are um, evolving from simplistic life forms. And you know, this this is just an example of that. Do, how do we view people? Do we view people as fundamentally sinful, or do we view people as just matter that's constantly changing over time? And this is where you get all the t- transgender. Uh, the logic of the transgender movement is essentially founded on this belief that we can be whatever we want to be because that's essential to how we're created even. And so there's ramifications to, you know, toying around with Genesis at a variety of levels. And 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 obviously uh, Genesis, if, if you want to look at what's actually happening in Genesis, you're going to see that basically every single major confusion in our society right now is all centering around a, you know, straightforward interpretation of Genesis. So the Bible tells us that we're distinct from the animals. Uh, The Bible tells us that God created man in his own image. Uh, God gives us a definition of marriage within the opening chapters of Genesis. God tells us the basic human's fundamental problem in in Genesis. Uh, You know, you can think about the the world that we're living in right now and all of the sexual confusion that's out there, all the gender confusion that's out there, all the, you know, confusion as it relates to human, uh, mankind's placed in the world, whether or not it's ethical to eat animals, you know, how do we relate to animals, all these sorts of things like across the board you're finding in, in the opening chapters of Genesis. And so that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I, I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, I know in a few, in a few different episodes and, and not, not even just in podcast episodes, but even just in our, the, the lessons that we teach, you know, on Wednesday nights at our church, uh, so many of them uh, involve, having to explain, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to various topics and, and what is the popular worldview of, of, um, unbelievers, it's, I mean, you pretty much always have to explain that materialistic worldview that they have. Yeah. yeah, All those basic worldview questions, you know, who are we, where do we come from? Where are we going? They're all right there. And like, there's no way to build a worldview apart from like a biblical worldview, apart mm-hmm. from looking at Genesis answers to those questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? They're, they're all right there. Right. Now, getting back to the actual topic at hand, anxiety specifically, um, you were talking about uh, basically people are, you know, viewing this as a biological problem. Uh, sci- popular psychology has, has given us, I think you said five different uh, primary categories. categories of anxiety uh, to diagnose people with. Uh, so the follow-up question I wanted to ask with that is, you know, if, the, if they think it's a biological problem, normally when you have any kind of biological problem, there's certain uh, tests that you can run. Uh, so for example, say I were, say I, I fell and I hurt my arm really badly and I think I broke it. I'm not sure, you know, uh, it looks normal, but then I can't really move it very much. Um, it, it's incredibly painful. So I'm going to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to run a bunch of tests, uh, to tell me whether or not my arm's broken. 
and there's going to be clear evidence that the doctor can see and then, you know, interpret and then diagnose me with that evidence that he's now gotten through x-rays and, you know, what, whatever else they need to do. Uh, so the question that I wanted to ask you now uh, is what exactly is, uh, well, I'm assuming there is a process like that for uh, uh, when it comes to psychologists who are, who are trying to diagnose people who are prone to uh, anxiousness. So what exactly does that process look like? You know, if, if it's a medical problem, there's got to be some kind of process, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You would think, uh, you would, you would think, um, so uh, this is a little bit complicated in that there, you know, you have these different labels. Uh, so I just gave you five different you know, labels for the major types of anxiety disorders. So you have like general anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress, social anxiety disorder. But, but what, what's happening though with these labels, and we've talked about this at you know, various episodes, is these labels are just descriptions of you know, individuals' thoughts and behaviors. And so these are the labels that are put on an individual after all the medical tests come back empty, essentially. Uh, so, you know, after you run all the medical tests and there's nothing, you know, wrong with an individual, they're going to get one of these labels if they describe themselves as being worried or anxious. And sometimes even if they're not, uh, so, um, there's, um, you know, there's a variety of medical conditions that can produce what you might describe as anxious feelings. And so we're going to, uh, describe anxious feelings as something like uh, simple physiological distress that's uh, resulting from some sort of pathology or evidence of, uh, you know, tissue damage or malfunction in some kind of way. So there, there's a variety of things that can happen that can produce in an individual you, what you might describe as anxious feelings. Uh, but then that's different from anxiety or worry as we commonly understand that. So like, I, I just give you a few like medical things that could happen that could produce anxious kind of feelings. But that, you know, a person can have anxious feelings all day long without being worried. Uh, so th there's, uh, we have to kind of th think through how these things actually work. But like, an, like a person who's having a heart attack, they're going to have what you might describe as anxious feelings, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so there's going to be something wrong with their heart at that point. But then a person can have a heart attack without worry. Uh, so worry is a moral response. Uh, you know, hypothyroidism can produce what might people might describe as anxious feelings, uh, lung disease, uh, and some, dr you know, drugs and medication often when individuals are taking a lot of different drugs like aspirin, uh, ADHD medication, asthma medication. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of caffeine. You know, if you drink a lot of caffeine, you're going to have anxious feelings. I mean, I mean, I, I know that when I was in Bible college and seminary, I drank so much caffeine that my eyes would twitch. Uh, but then, <laughs> it's certainly my heart raced, you know, but then that would be, uh, that would just be simple physiological distress resulting from some sort of pathology at that point. Like that's not worry. That's not anxiety. That's just me being hyped up on caffeine, you know? So, uh, but then your typical, you know, if you just think about how one of these labels functions, we'll just talk about general anxiety disorder at this point and just talk about how they're actually diagnosed someone with general anxiety disorder. So, you know, you're, if, you're going to get diagnosed with general anxiety disorder if, uh, you know, an individual basically has what's deemed as excessive anxiety or worry uh, occurring more days than not for at least six months uh, about a number of events or activities. So you, you have to have a, 
there, there's a checklist on how to figure these things out. So, uh, you know, does the individual have ex- excessive anxiety occurring more days than not for at least six months? Uh, does the individual find it difficult to control their worry? Uh, and then is the anxiety or worry associated with three or more of the following six symptoms, essentially? So it's more often than not for six months, they are not able to control it and it's three or more of the following six symptoms. Okay. So only one, note this, only one of these additional symptoms is required in children. (laughs) So, uh, so here are the six, Uh, you know, the restlessness, feeling keyed up or on edge, uh, you know, two being easily fatigued, three difficulty concentrating or mind going blank, four irritability, five muscle tension, six sleep disturbance. And so, uh, like you have to have three or more, three of those six symptoms. It, it, it needs to be clin- cause a clinically significant distress or impairment in social or oc- occupational or other important areas. And it must not be attributed to, and this is the key to what you're talking about. It must not be attributed, uh, attributable to physiological effects of a substance or another medical condition, example, hypothyroidism. So like this is basically, um, anxiety or worry that doesn't have a medical cause. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's not better explained by some other medical medical disorder. So uh, basically like this is just a label that psychologists are putting on individual by asking them, Hey, are you worried? You know, essentially, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm worried. I've been worried for six months or more and it's, you know, caused me problems in my work. I'm not able to, you know, go to work or take care of my responsibilities. And then, you know, it's also leading to three or more, three of the six, you know, restlessness, uh, being fatigued, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tension, sleep disturbance, et cetera. So this is not a medical disorder. This is just a simple description of individual's thoughts or behavior. It says nothing about the etiology behind it at all. It's just a, it's just a label that we put on people that sounds like it's a medical label when it clearly is not. So it's basically the same process as, you know, when you have a kid going to visit the doctor or, or going to see the nurse at school or something. And, and they say, you know, Hey, they scrape their knee. The nurse asks the kid, how bad does it hurt on a scale of, you know, one to 10? <laughs> uh, not exactly the most, um, objective, you know, yeah. <laughs> the objective scale. It's just a categorization of like behavior. Like it's just a categorization category, way to categorize certain thoughts or behavior. That's all it is. It's not telling you anything about the origin of that behavior or thoughts. I mean, to say someone is worried because they have general anxiety disorder is like saying someone is nervous because they fidget. Like, uh, it's just like, it's just a way of uh, basically categorizing certain phenomenon and giving it a certain label. But people think that this is like a medical diagnosis or there's something organic wrong with the person. But then this is the label you put on someone after all the organic causes are, are, you know, out are are rolled out essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's just a subjective, Hey, are you worried a lot? Yeah, I am. You know, that's about it. Like that's. Yeah. And it's, you know, messing up my life. It's like, well, you must have general anxiety disorder. Like That's not telling you anything significant there. Right. Now, if you've listened to the show a lot, you know that uh, when it comes to trying to accurately define terms, we like we we like to let um, God just tell us uh, what what specific things are and what they mean and how he views them. And so, Tim, you know, so we've been talking about society and and how society would define anxiety, uh, how society, you know, quote unquote, diagnoses 
um, anxiety uh, in people. Uh, what what does the the Bible have to say uh, about anxiety? Like, if we wanted to have a, a clear biblical definition, where would we go and uh, and where would we go in Scripture? And what would that definition from script from Scripture end up being? Yeah, Harrison, I think it's a really hard question to answer because this is a word that basically is, um, it's not, I mean, it's not hard to know what the Bible says about it. What's hard is that it's a word that is, um, has so many different uses at this point that um, when people, you know, there's a sense in which everyone knows what the word means, like anxiety is, but then we use it so much and it can describe uh, such a wide range of phenomenon that essentially what you have to do is you have to think through like a lot of different categories as it relates to this word. So there's a lot of things that a person could be communicated, communicating when they're using that kind of term. And so you have to think you know, through what does the Bible say about you know every like, a lot of different categories of things. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I think so. But explain a little more. All right. So um, basically, anxiety is you know you you can talk about anxiety, you can talk about worry, you can talk about fear, and so if you're trying to describe what is anxiety, there's just a lot of different types of fear in the Bible, and then there's you know, anxiety in the Bible. So Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but with everything, but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Jesus tells us, you know, why do you worry about your life? So you have like words like worry in the Bible. You have words like anxiety in the Bible, and then you have different words related to fear. And because anxiety is so closely tied to fear, then you have to think through, well, what does the Bible say about fear? What does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about worry? And then deal with each category uh, individually in order to just make sure you're not talking past each other, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so uh, biblically speaking, I just uh, try to run through a little bit of a list here, but like biblically speaking, there are six different types of fear that can happen. Some of them are going to be moral, and then some of them are going to be not moral. Uh, so, And there could be more. I'm just giving you a rough list here. but. Um, so, you know, one type of fear is what you describe as startle fear. And, uh, you know, an example of that would be Ruth laying at the feet of Boaz. He woke up, he was a little bit startled, you know. I mean, I think most people would be a little bit Yeah, startled. I'd be a little freaked out. <laughs> Find a strange woman, you know, resting at your feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but that, you know, that that would be kind of a, most people would, wouldn't really consider that to be a moral issue, to be startled at that point. Uh, uh, now, uh, there's some people that startle maybe too easy <laughs> so, because they're, uh, you know, maybe, uh, filled with a lot of anxious thoughts about a particular topic and they get themselves all worked up to where they're a little bit stressed out pretty easy. But most of mostly startle, like this startle impulse is just a normal, natural response that individuals have to uh, danger that can somewhat be helpful at times. You know, if you get startled, you might have a you know rush of adrenaline that helps you get out of there. Uh, but so you have this idea of startle, uh, and then you have uh, like a concern, like what you might describe as a genuine kind of concern. So Paul in Philippians 2.20 says, you know, I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Uh, so you have this idea of startle in the Bible. It's a type of fear. You have concern in the Bible. It's a type of, type of fear. You have the idea of respect in the Bible, which is also a type of fear. So we're told to you know, fear the Lord, our God, and do uh, you know, all the statutes and rules that he's commanded us to do. So you have a respect is, is a type of fear that's distinct, uh, distinct from the idea of concern and startle. 
Uh, you have like a cowardice or fear of man. So that's a, you know, a failure to do what's morally required of an individual because they care too much about what others think about them and not enough about what God thinks. So you have, uh, you know, startle, concern, respect, cowardice, fear of man. You have terror. Uh, this would be uh, inappropriate for the Christian to have terror or dread. So Exodus fifteen sixteen is an example of this. Uh, terror or dread have fallen upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you purchase. So, you know, when uh, individuals uh, encounter the reality that God's coming in judgment, they often respond in this uh, terror that is uh, an appropriate kind of fear, but it's a type of fear I mean, if you understand who God is and how terrifying he actually is, uh, it's an appropriate kind of fear to have for those uh, who are objects of his wrath to actually have at his when, when he uh, comes in judgment. And then you have anxiety is also a type of fear as well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you have these different types of fear, but then, uh, but then, you know, if you were to try to think, well, well, what's the difference between like anxiety and worry or something along those lines? Uh, so what what you have to do is you have to try to put together, well, what's the difference between anxiety? What's the difference between worry? And what's the difference between genuine concern? And that gets you in the ballpark of the discussion. And those things are all going to be different from those other types of fear that I mentioned. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I was actually going to ask you about that because I know, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about Paul a little bit and his command um, to the church in Philippi to not be anxious in anything. Um, but then at the same time, there's other letters that he writes where he said, you know, he's basically like, Hey, I'm really worried about, um, I'm really worried about you guys. You know, I have a lot of concern for this specific church. And, and so in one sense, you know, if you take a, a very shallow, uh, or if you read scripture, you know, very shallow in a very shallow way, um, I could see someone easily. Uh, taking a taking away that Paul is basically being hypocritical, where he's telling one group of people, "Hey, don't be anxious," but then he himself is anxious. Um, and so, so I wanted to kind of get I wanted to get some clarification there, anyways, to basically say, you know, what's the deal? It uh, it seems like the only two options are either Paul is actually just being hypocritical here, or uh, he's using these words in different in different ways and one is appropriate while the other is not. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, yeah. Essentially, you know, if you're going to try to think through what Paul is actually saying there, a good place to think about is the Philippians two twenty passage where he basically is saying that he, uh, Paul has no one like him who would be genuinely concerned for uh, your welfare. Mm-hmm. And that way he's using this, uh, He's using two Greek words there. One is merimnao and the other one is ganesio. And essentially that's what he's describing as a genuine concern. And so there is this category in the Bible of a genuine concern. And then there's a, then there's a category for anxiety. And then there's a category for worry. So you just want to think through. There's three different categories there. There's a kind of concern that's genuine. And then there's a kind of concern that's not genuine. And that kind of gets you in the ballpark to try to make the kind of distinctions that you really do need to make as you're trying to think through these categories. Now, I mean, typically when I'm counseling people, you know, there's you know, no one who's ever going to say, hey, I'm worried all the time. Uh, <laughs> well, there may not be no one, but there's very few people who are going to say that, particularly with someone like me. Uh, they're going to say, hey, I'm not worried. I'm, you know, concerned, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just concerned. And, uh, and so, but then, you know, looking on the outside, it's like, Hey, it looks like worry here, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, you might not be able to persuade them on the first round that, that what they're calling concern is actually worry, but you do need to try to make these distinctions in general. And I could just give you a simple way to try to distinguish these things in order to make sense of what we're even talking about here. Uh, but, um, first I, I think maybe, maybe it'd be helpful just to try to distinguish anxiety from concern or anxiety from worry. So um, anxiety generally is what you might describe as a fear of judgment that uh, is uh, in response to a conscience that has been defiled. So an example of this would be Proverbs uh, 28.1, which basically tells us the wicked will flee when no one pursues, but the righteous is bold as a lion. So this anxiety is like this idea of a fear of judgment. So um, when the Israelites, when or God was basically telling the Israelites that they were going to be exiled, uh, God says about the Israelites that they would be put to flight at the sound of a leaf, essentially. Uh, so this is this idea of the wicked fleeing when no one's pursued, when no one has pursued them. Uh, essentially, uh, you know, wh- whenever we sin, like sin psychologically destabilizes us, if you want to put it that way, in such a way that we are suspicious of, of individuals around us. We constantly looking over our shoulders. We have this sense in which we're guilty and there's no way to fix it. And that's often why little children will come up to you and they'll tell on themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially it's because they're dealing with this fear of judgment, this anxiety, this fear of judgment that comes from this violated conscience. And so when you have a child who essentially comes up to you and says, Hey, I didn't eat the cookie today. Right. But one of the things that you can be confident about is that they probably did eat the cookie. Okay, I didn't eat the uh, cookie. Uh. As they, <laughs> as you see the cookie crumbs on their face, right? Uh, so uh, you can pre- be pretty confident. But that's kind of the fear of judgment that comes from a defiled conscience at that point. And that's why you know Adam and Eve are hiding hiding themselves in the bushes after they sin is because they know that they. They, they experienced this guilt and the shame and condemnation, and they were looking over their shoulder. They knew that God was going to, you know, see at that point. But then, not only did like did that put them in an enmity with God, that put them in an enmity with each other at that point. And so, generally speaking, anxiety is going to be this fear of judgment that comes from a defiled conscience. This when individuals are destabilized as a result of their own sin, and then worry, on the other hand, is you know, if you want to distinguish worry from anxiety, worry is going to have a specific kind of um, issue that the person is failing to trust God in uh, over and against anxiety. So, you know, the idea of worry is that typically if you're going to come up to someone and you say, you know, hey, why are you worried? They're going to be able to give you an answer to why they're worried if they accept that they're actually worried. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if you say, hey, why are you worried? They're going to say, you know, I'm worried about the job. Like I don't have a job right now. I need a job. You know, I'm worried about the tests that I'm going to take. So with worry, worry is a failure to trust God with some kind of situation that, um, that you can identify. Whereas with anxiety, if you ask someone, why are you anxious? Typically they're going to say, I don't know. They don't know why they just feel unstable all the time. And they don't, they don't, they don't quite know what it is that's causing that. Uh, so then if you want to try to distinguish that from what you might describe as a genuine concern, well, we're living in a world right now that is that damaged and has, you know, has damaging effects of sin. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of things that are concerning. There are plenty of things that should trouble us. There are plenty of things that we should, uh, be in prayer about, but then you distinguish like worry from this genuine concern and that you ask yourself, you know, is my concern consuming? 
You know, is this all I'm thinking about? Is there, am I characterized by peace in this moment or am I just characterized by fear in this moment? And, uh, you know, is it proportional to what's actually happening or is it disproportional to what's actually happening here? Right. So if someone says like, I'm, you know, suffering from this, uh, constant concern, uh, that, um, you know, the aliens are going to come and take me away or something was like that, whatever that is, it's not based on reality and it's not based on, I guess, out of proportional kind of fear or, you know, the kind of person who's afraid of stepping on a crack on the sidewalk because, you know, something like that, uh, you know, maybe they'll have bad luck or something. It's just like, this is out of proportional. This is not genuine concern. It's not based on what's true and what's right, what's honorable. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. So I guess the follow-up question to that is then, you know, if Paul is giving a command, do, do not be anxious in anything, uh, is he using, I mean, when he's, when we read that word anxious, are we to understand that he's saying, don't be the person, uh, uh, who is essentially afraid of judgment or, or should we read that as, Hey, don't be the person who is, you know, uh, worried about specific circumstance that's definable in your life. What exactly is he speaking of here? Yeah, no, that's fair. I think part of the problem is that you have words that have, um, that like they are overlapping. And so in English, the idea of anxiety and worry, they're very close synonyms. Mm-hmm. And, but then you need, uh, part of the problem is that like, even in Greek, they're close synonyms, like the idea of merimna, uh, like that's a, that's a, that's a word that can mean anxiety. It can mean worry. It can be concern. It's a word that's very flexible, uh, that can mean a lot of different things just depending on the context. And so what you, what you have to do and, you know, trying to distinguish anxiety and worry in the way that I've distinguished it, it may not be, um, like you, you just have to have some way of describing those two separate phenomenon. So if you want to call anxiety, this fear of judgment, that's fine. If you want to say concern, or if you want to say worry is, um, you know, a failure to trust God, uh, with uh, things that he's promised to take care of uh, that's uh, or you know trust him with life in general that's fine that's fair like those are distinctions that we can if you use those as stipulated terms essentially that gets you somewhere it's useful it's useful as a way of communicating but then you're just the problem is you're just dealing with terms that have some sort of overlap there so when paul is saying hey don't be anxious for anything he's saying don't be worried about anything that's kind of what you're getting at Mm mm-hmm Okay. Don't, don't, don't be worried, you know, don't be worried about anything. You know, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Those are two worry passages. You're just using words that are, have overlap. And if, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes um, a lot of sense. So I don't think any person you've counseled a lot of people uh, who, who've been dealing with some form of worry or anxiety uh, have you ever had any of them that that came to you and they said, "Hey, you know what? I'm actually I'm really glad that I'm dealing with worry right now, and that I feel like I'm defined by that." Have you ever had anyone tell you that? Most people don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> most people don't. Uh, I mean, most people don't have the kind of uh, moral self awareness to say, you know, "Hey, I'm simply worried." I mean, even the way you described it just now. You know, being someone who's like uh, largely sympathetic to what we're talking about, uh, or you know, mostly sympathetic to what we're talking about, like we we just naturally speak the language of victimization. We mm-hmm. would say like someone who's dealing with anxiety, right? 
Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just, it, it flows off the tongue and it's just so hard. I'll even talk like, I, I'll even speak that way. And it's just so hard when you're constantly you like living in a society that uses victim language in every single way related to this topic, just to be clear headed and to use the language the Bible uses. But then if we would actually use the language the Bible uses and speak about it the way the Bible speaks about it, like, you know, I would say that if a person came into counseling and said, Hey, I'm simply, simply worried and I can't stop. I need your help. Like they've like, that's half the battle Mm -hmm. (laughs) is, is defining it in that kind of way, you know? And I expect that that kind of person would have much greater, you know, uh, success in, actually repenting of their worry than the kind of individual who basically perceives himself to be suffering from anxiety. But no, it's pretty rare. (laughs) Yeah. I I figured it was going to be pretty rare. Um, I've never met anyone who said that they were happy, uh, that, uh, I'll, I'll avoid the dealing with, you know, obviously I need, I, I need to repent and sackcloth and ashes for, you know, saying dealing with anxiety instead of, uh, categorized by anxiety or, or something along those lines. But, uh, I've known a few, I've known a couple, but not many. Okay. All sure. right. There's a few out there, I, I suppose. Um, but anyways, back to, back to the question I actually wanted to ask. Um, I don't think it's, I think it's a safe bet to say most people don't want to have to, uh, you know, deal with their anxiety or, or whatever, however you want to say it. But, uh, so we get that part of it. Uh, it's not, it's not a fun thing to confront. It can cause a lot of damage. Uh, if we let it, you know, get out of control, especially, um, but in terms of like the way that God views anxiety, uh, he's, he's given us a command to resist anxiety and to, um, repent of it and, and never allow ourselves to be worried or anxious. So why exactly is he, is he so concerned, um, about whether or not, uh, we're categorized by, or even overcome by anxiousness? Sure. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that kind of question is essentially coming from, uh, the, the reason why we ask that kind of question is because fundamentally, one of the things that we've been trained to do is we've been trained to think of the Bible as fundamentally a book that's about us, essentially. And so uh, the seeker sensitive movement basically has taught us to view the Bible that way and to treat the Bible in that kind of way. And so there's uh, this kind of hidden assumption behind that kind of question that uh, lies behind you know, the, the preaching of many pastors, particularly those in mega churches. And that's the assumption that, you know, I'll obey the Bible if it benefits me in some kind of way. And so we're basically asking the question, what's in it for me? Yeah. And that's essentially what pastors are doing, you know, when they're teaching their congregation a week in and week out at many, many churches is they're tra- treating the Bible as it's a book that's, you know, what is it, what's in it for me? It's chicken noodle soup for the soul. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, you know, so then like the, the Bible is basically kind of reduced in that way to, you know, a book that helps me to do life and the book that helps me to, you know, be, uh, you know, a conqueror and all that, <laughs> uh, be an overcomer to quote Mandisa. Right. Yeah. So you, uh, 
you know, we're told to conquer, but then we turn it into an identity and that kind of way. But here's the thing. So like when you think about the way the Bible is actually written, the Bible is a book about God and the book about God's glory. The main major theme of the Bible is uh, God is a glory seeking God, essentially. And so when you think about anxiety, why anxiety is a problem, it's not fundamentally a problem because it's unpleasant. That's not why it's fundamentally a problem. Uh, the reason why anxiety and worry are fundamentally problems is because they reveal a deep-seated, uh, particularly if you want to distinguish it in the way I describe worry, worry you know, um, basically reveals a deep-seated lack of trust in the character of God, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. when you're worried, what you're doing is you're essentially calling God incompetent. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're basically telling God that, you know, he... It, that your problems are bigger than he is and that like he can't handle his, your problems. He doesn't know how, how to deal with your problems. He uh, somehow like he's uh, like your problems are bigger than him. And, you know, I, and I think that this just, re- this is a, uh, you know, profoundly insulting to the kind of God who is the biblical God who actually made us. Uh, this is, uh, you know, basically spitting in God's face and calling him incompetent. And, you know, I, I, so, but I don't think that we think about it that kind of way. Uh, but then that's fundamentally the nature of the problem is that it's, uh, it's, um, you know, basically calling into question the character of God. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've started teaching, my daughter recently as she's started to get a little bit older hopefully she can understand soon begin to understand some of these things but you know she will she will have moments where uh she gets very upset very quickly you know for example if she's really hungry um she might see uh my wife or i getting food out preparing it but then we're not going to give it to her right away just because, you know, for whatever reason, circumstantially, whether it's we're traveling and we just can't, uh, we can't feed it to her right now or because it's a really messy meal or whatever the reason is, she'll see the food. Uh, she knows that we know as her parents that she's hungry. And yet she also sees that we are not immediately giving her food yet. And so she'll start freaking out crying, um, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs, uh, because in her mind, you know, we must not know what she wants and what she needs. But the reality is, um, as her parents, we know, we know what she needs, uh, uh, and we want to take care of her. We, we love her and we cherish her and we want to meet her needs. But then, uh, sometimes it can't always be immediately for whatever reason. And so I often, I often tell uh, our daughter now, Hey, you need to trust that your parents love you and want to take care of you and are going to do that. Uh, and, and so everything that we do is for your good. So when she start when she starts freaking out, part of what she's doing there is uh, she's essentially demonstrating a lack of trust that her parents actually know what is the best thing for her in certain situations. So we're trying to teach her at an early age, Hey, like trust, trust us because we know what you need and we're going to give it to you. Um, and, and it seems like this is a uh, parenting is in, you know, uh, in so many ways, uh, a reflection of, of God's relationship with us. That's why he calls us 
uh, his adopted children in Christ. Uh, and so it, it seems that this is uh, pretty much a, a similar thing, except obviously he's perfect. And so, well, that's the funny thing about it, you know. I, and I think I noticed the same, uh, same kind of thing with our first child, particularly when he was an infant and really young. And I mean, it's just what you describe. I mean, you're sitting there warming up the bottle, and they're screaming their head off. <laughs> yeah. and it's just like, man, I'm literally about to put it in your mouth. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, <laughs> calm down, man. <laughs> it's not there immediately, so you're never going to give it to me. <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, and then you, right when right when you do, grab onto it, you know, real uh-huh. quick. And like, as if, uh, you know, it was ever in question, you know, but right. then it, it makes those passages you're talking about, you know, your heavenly father knows what you have need of even before you ask. Right. Uh, have, uh, you know, very... Uh, it's like a very uh, clear object lesson as to how, <laughs> you know, stupid and insane we actually are when we worry because we're like that. You know, if, yeah. if, if there was anything that we needed, uh, God would give it to us if it was that essential. And if he's not giving it to us, it must be that it's not good for us. Right. Uh, uh, but then, you know, in our pride and our arrogance, we think that uh, we know better than him. And, right. you know, that somehow he's asleep at the wheel and he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, and, and that's what's so, you know, obscene, insane and obscene about it. You know, but then now we have like, what we have is we have this, you know, quasi medical label that we can put on our distrust that gives us, you know, gives us the ability to be, you know, claim that triumphant victim label, mm-hmm. you know, as we distrust God and shake our hands at mm-hmm. him and insult him to his face. And that's what's so particularly insidious about these labels is that they essentially give us this quasi scientific justification to essentially spit in his face and call him incompetent. Yeah. So, so in summary, uh, anxiety, worry, these types of things are essentially us stating to God or demonstrating to God that we don't actually trust, uh, that he number one knows what we need. We don't actually trust that he is faithful to fulfill, uh, uh, specific promises that pertain to our certain situation. So overall, you know, we're basically saying just like, just like from the, from the beginning, if you go back and read in Genesis, Hey God, we know better than you. Um, uh, it seems like that's kind of, is that a fair summary of, of basically? Yeah. I mean, we think, you know, if, if, um, if we were running the world, we would, I mean, relate to worry, you know, uh, worry, we're typically, we're basically saying, you know, if we ran the world, we know how better to run the world than what you do. Right. For sure. And, you know, if we were in charge, then everything would be great and right and wonderful. And your plan essentially is terrible and worthless and you don't know what you're doing and you're incompetent. Okay. And you're withholding something good that we need, you know, essentially that's the argument of Satan at that point. You're, you know, uh, there's this thing that we need in order to be okay that you, you know, are jealousy holding on to and not giving us because you're just tyrannical, mean and needlessly restrictive and everything else. Okay. Uh, so obviously, you know, any, any, uh, born again, Christian is not going to want to, uh, remain in that kind of state where they are, they are demonstrating to God that they don't trust God. So what would be your advice to him when it comes to, uh, how Christians should repent of their, um, their anxiety? What, I mean, what, what advice do you typically give to the people you're counseling? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking about anxiety, we're talking about worry, uh, whatever whatever you call these two things. Like if you if you're talking about this fear of judgment that results from a defiled conscience, you know, generally speaking, um, one of the things that you have to do with that. So we'll just talk about the you know what you might describe as anxiety over and against worry if you try to distinguish them in this way. But this fear of judgment, one of the things that's going to happen is like you're dealing with that kind of person, like it's. Like, here's the problem. You can't have like a one size fits all counsel to everyone. So if you have the kind of person who's basically just saying they're anxious all the time, you say, Hey, why? And they say, I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever that is, it's not worry because they don't know why they're anxious all the time. They're just always on edge all the time and they don't know why. And so typically at that point, what you need to do is you need to talk to them about, you know, how they're handling their life. You need to ask them, you know, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? You know, and it might be that they, you know, they stole something at work. It might be that they, you know, um, are addicted to some kind of drug. It might be that um, they're doing things on the internet that they shouldn't be doing, you know. So with that kind of person who is constantly on edge, who basically, um, like, uh, is fundamentally destabilized in that way, what you want to talk to them about is how are you living your life? How are you spending your time? Uh, you know, the kind of person who's binge watching Netflix all day long and never takes care of their responsibilities, they may be constantly anxious, uh, but the problem is that, you know, you ask them why they don't know, well, the, they're not going to connect it to the fact that they're living a worthless life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so with that kind of person, typically what you're wanting to do is talk about, ask them very specific questions about how they're living. What are they doing? How are they spending their time? Is there unconfessed sin there? You know, uh, that, that kind of stuff. And you might, you know, tell me what your day is like. What do you do on a typical day? You know, how are you living? You know, um, you know, and, and it might be that what you're encouraging them to do in those moments is just to pursue faithfulness, to pursue a life worth living, to, you know, to pursue, uh, not just, you know, spending, devoting all their time to worthless or sinful things. And so that kind of person might find that, you know, if they get off the couch and get up and move around and do something productive and worthwhile, they don't feel so unstable anymore. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, if you just go up to that person and you say, hey, man, I'm just anxious all the time. You say, well, the Bible says quit worrying. Do you see how that didn't help them at all? <laughs> yeah. Just stop it. Didn't it. Help it about, you just stop it. It's like, well, I don't, they don't know how to stop it, right? Well, the problem is that they're not worried. There's nothing they know that they're worried about that they can tell you. They just, they're living a worthless life and they feel condemnation as their normal state of affairs. And it doesn't do just to go up to them and say, hey, you know, there's no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, yeah, you might, they might have a lot of sin that they need to repent of. Uh, and in order, you know, in order for that to make sense. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not just that you can claim that problem, uh, promise that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus when you're perfect or something along those lines. But if you have all these huge life dominating sins that are in your life that are robbing you from joy and keeping you from joy, like the solution is repentance by God's grace and through his power, through the power of his spirit, you need to repent. You need to repent. And then like you can, um, you know, as you're repenting, you, there is this reality, hey, we're never going to repent perfectly, but we shouldn't be mastered by sin, uh, mastered by all these life dominating sins. And the kind of individual who's mastered by, you know, life dominating sin after life dominating sin and living a functioning, essentially worthless life, they need to be taught, you know, the gospel and how we respond to the good news. And they need to be taught the basics of the Christian life and how the Lordship of Christ applies to their situation and, and everything else. So with that kind of person, you need to talk through how are they living their life? What are they doing with their time? 
uh, you know, are there secret sins there? That's, mm-hmm. that's what you need to do there. Uh, with a person who's worried, uh, typically, um, you know, I just try to walk them through um, just a checklist as far as that goes. So first thing I try to tell the person who's worried, you know, I'm worried about the finances or I'm worried about, you know, will I ever get married or I'm worried about, um, you know, a test that I'm going to take or whatever else. Uh, step one is always going to be take responsibility for your worry. Uh, so, you know, as long as a person believes that that their worry, is, like they're the victim of their own worry, that their worry is not their fault, they're never going to turn from it. Uh, so in order to actually repent of worry, you have to take responsibility for it. So like all sins that we commit, um, the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. So if you're worried about something, you essentially, you need to repent of it, but you're not going to repent of it. If it, if you believe fundamentally deep down, this is not your fault. It's a biological problem. This is, you know, your genetic problem. You must have some sort of chemical imbalance or whatever else in your brain. And like you're, you're, you're just going to be mastered by this forever until you say, this is my fault. So, um, and that's just simply responding to the reality of what the passage is saying. Uh, do not be anxious about your life. You know, as Jesus says, or Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, but then um, beyond that, you know, I think there's a few steps there. So you want to identify the object of your worry. So uh, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So you ask yourself, hey, what is my anything here? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What is the anything? Okay. So, uh, so identify the object of it. What is it? You know, what am I worried about? Like, what, what is that thing? You know, so you might ask a few questions like, you know, if only, you know, I had X, I would have peace. You know, what is that thing? You know, uh, financial security, safety. If only someone loved me, you know, if only, you know, that kind of stuff. What, what is the anything there that you're worried about? Uh, then what, one of the things you want to do at that point is evaluate the object of it. So evaluate the object of your worry. So you first take responsibility, identify what you're worried about, then you evaluate uh, what does God say essentially is the question about my anything. Uh, So uh, meaning like, you know, sometimes we can be worried about good things and sometimes we can be worried about bad things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So like if it's something bad, you know, like, um, uh, you know, like, um, like I'm, uh, well, you can think of any kind of uh, sinful thing at that point that a person might make. I'm worried that uh, my boss is going to catch me for stealing all the money at the job, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So you want to evaluate. What does God say about it? You know, so some things can be bad like that, but then some things can be good. I'm worried about, um, you know, I, I, I'm going into a conversation. It's going to be rough and I want, I don't want the other person to know that I care about them and, and I want them to know that, um, you know, that I don't hate them and, but, and know that I'm going to have to have a hard conversation. So that could be a good thing to say, Hey, like, what does God say about it? Well, God wants you to have like good relationships with people. Like, uh, you know, so far as that goes, all other things being equal, like God wants you to love other people and care about other people and desire to have good relationships with them. That's a good thing. Uh, so you, you know, what you want to do though, the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but with everything by prayer and thanks, uh, supplication with Thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So as you evaluate this object of it, you say, is it something I can pray about? Typically, if it's something bad, you can't pray about it. Does that make sense? Um, explain that a little more. Well, I'm <laughs> meaning like I can, you can't ask God for it. So the Bible tells us that like <laughs> okay, the answer yeah. to one of the solutions to worry is to ask God, right? So right. don't worry, but ask God for what you need. Well, the problem is, it's like, Hey, you know, 
I'm worried about getting caught because I stole all the money at the work, right? It's mm-hmm. like, well, can you ask God to not let you get caught? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that an would interesting be, prayer for sure. <laughs> Lord, Lord, I need to quit worrying about this. I, I just need to ask you, Lord, just let me get off scot-free. You know, <laughs> like, Don't let anyone. So no, I mean, so like if no, then repent of the wicked desire right there, right? But then if it's a good thing, ask him for it. So Lord, you know, help me find a spouse. Like I'm worried about finding a spouse. Like you're, you can, you know, the cattle on a thousand hill. You can send the guy over here to me. Uh, it's not really all that hard, you know. Or you can send the right lady over here to me. Like you, you're in control. You can do this. I trust you. You know. So you, what you want to do is ask God for it, and then um, so you know, take responsibility for it. Identify what you're worried about. See if you know. Evaluate evaluate what you're worried about. Can you ask God for it? Or if not, then you need to repent of it. Lord, there's a wicked desire right here. I have that's terrible, and I pray that you take it from me, right? Uh, but then, um, then you know, there's a step that people often forget as it relates to worry, and you you need to ask like, have I faithfully pursued this desire? Essentially. Uh, so when you're thinking about it, um, you know Nehemiah four nine, uh, you know they were being threatened with attack by the enemies of God, and they said they prayed to our God and they set a guard as protection against them day and night. And so, um, you know, examples of this would be individuals who worried about a job but won't refuse to look for it, right? So you don't just sit there and pray, Lord, give me a job, Lord, give me a job. You need to go put out resumes. You need to do some search, searching. You need to, so you need to, have I faithfully pursued this? And and there's, pl- there's plenty of things in life that, you know, if that God wants you to take steps and, um, and pursue, and he may never answer your prayer until you choose responsibility. Uh, so if you're the kind of individual who refuses to work and just says, Hey Lord, you know, you say you're going to take care of all my everything I need. It's like, yeah, he may, but not, you know, that may not mean that you have your house and your phone and your Netflix if you refuse to get off your butt and work, right? Uh, you might have to scavenge uh, some bugs on the side of a road <laughs> for a while. <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, so I have I faithfully pursued it and then just choose peace. So peace is a choice. Uh, peace is a choice that we make. We choose to have peace you know, a heart that trusts in the Lord will have peace, essentially. So peace is the byproduct of this heart that trusts in the Lord. It's it's not, um, you know, many people who are anxious and worried, they're sitting there, Lord, give me peace, Lord, give me peace. But what they're praying is they're praying for the byproduct. Uh, what they should be praying for is, Lord, help me, to, uh, forgive me for my lack of trust in you and help me to trust you. Mm-hmm. And the person who actually trusts the Lord will have peace at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and God promises peace. For the person that right. does that, right? So, so yep. if, if someone is uh, going about this the right way and they are legitimately saying, "Hey, God, you know, I've screwed this up royally. You know, I sure. need I need your forgiveness and I need you to help me turn away from these things, and I want to commit to turn away from these things, uh, specifically not trusting you." Then, essentially, what God promises at that point is, "Hey, that person will." Uh, they will have peace, not like a, you might get peace along the way. Maybe, you know, it's, uh, it's a promise. If you repent, of, if you repent of your worry and you say, Lord, this is my fault. Will you forgive me for it? And you trust him. You trust the Lord. You'll have peace. Yeah. Which is a good, which is a, a great promise. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing that uh, God is telling us. So, People should really be encouraged. I think sometimes people kind of read a passage like this and they say to themselves, you know, uh, 
kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, that's great for Paul, but what about us normal people? <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, um, the pro- part of the problem is that we don't know who God is. And so like they're like, it's like, how do you trust someone you don't know? Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And so if you don't know anything about God, you don't understand who he is. And I mean, like, um, you know, and part part of the problem is that we do, as we said before, we read the Bible in such, in such a man-centered way. That yeah. It's all about us and trying to figure out how we can fix whatever problems we have in life. The problem is that Bible is a book about God. And, you know, as you read through the Bible, you encounter this God who created the heavens and the earth, who made everything. And if you know him, like it's impossible, like if you really know him, like the Bible, about Jesus says, I've you know, come to give you eternal life. And eternal life is that you may know you know, God yeah. and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so the more that you know about God, the more that your faith grows and your trust grows, and the more that you have something to latch on to, uh, you know, faith is a gift of God. Trust is a gift of God. It's a confident expectation that God will do what he promises to do. And if you know who he is, like the peace is going to result from that. So you're not just praying for like this disembodied peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're doing is you're, you're, filling your mind with the character of God as you encounter him in the Bible and you're trusting him based on how he's revealed himself to be. And the result of that will be obviously a piece that surpasses all understanding. So earlier in the episode, we talked a lot about the fact that our society is views, anxiety, worry as sort of a medical problem. It's a biological issue. And so one of the responses that Uh, psychologists will typically have is they'll prescribe you antidepressants. And that's part of our title question. (laughs) Paul, Paul didn't know that uh, we would one day have antidepressants. And so, so part of what we were asking was, Hey, maybe, maybe Paul was just giving us an outdated uh, command uh, that was good for people who didn't have antidepressants. But now that we've got them, we can kind of just, chuck this one or, or file it away in the uh in the obsolete category or something uh, if if there is right. such a thing as the obsolete category um when it comes to god's commands for us but uh if we're talking about the christian who is trying to uh turn away from anxiety who is is trying to flee the temptation to worry uh should that person uh, as part of that process, turn to antidepressants as part of the solution? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think essentially um, when you're thinking about what's actually happening at this level, it, it is, uh, I'll say a word about the comparison first and then talk about what you're saying. But I mean, it is, a, you have to understand that this worldview is such an attack on the sufficiency of scripture. It's unbelievable how much of attack on the sufficiency of the Bible that you're actually talking about at that point. I mean, essentially what you're saying is that for 2000 years, uh, give or take 50 years, like we've gotten, we basically had a book that told Christians that they were in sin if they worried and now what we've realized in the past 50 years is that basically the entirety of the Christian church for the past 2000 years has been misdiagnosing what's actually happening. Yeah, like, that's so, a pretty profound you, statement. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's unfathomable hubris and arrogance when you think about it, that, that basically you have a book that was in, like basically leading people astray for, you know, 1950 years, 
years before the advent of secular psychology. I don't know how you can even remotely believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and believe something along those lines that basically, you know, that you have a book that's just saying that people are sinful uh, and wrong, you know, because it was just so ignorant and didn't understand how human nature actually worked. And I mean, so why would you trust the Bible on anything? You know, if it could get something so common, so wrong, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. For so long, right, to where basically every pastor for the pa- for the first nineteen hundred and fifty years of church history was, you know, basically just deceiving his people because he just was missing this key bit of scientific truth that was withheld. Like you, what you don't have at that point is you don't have a book that's actually sufficient in any way. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, so there's that, but then. You know, answering your question as it relates to, you know, can antidepressants be one step along the path? The problem is they don't work. They don't statistically perform uh, much better than a placebo. They have horrible side effects. Uh, And some of those side effects include, um, you know, individuals being uh, mastered by the creation. But Paul says, you know, all things are lawful, but I won't be mastered by anything. So you have like fundamentally, like a you know a pill that doesn't work it doesn't perform better than a sugar pill it has all these horrible side effects and it is like um you know the bible says that you know weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for casting down strongholds and arguments and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of god like this is just a carnal attempt to uh pursue the kind of biblical change that God wants us to pursue. The Bible gives us different forms, different types of weapons. And and so when we look to physical objects to fix spiritual problems, like that's fundamentally uh, an assault on the sufficiency of the scripture at that point. And these war- these weapons are not going to be any help to us in restraining the flesh. They're not going to be like, th- like you can take a pill all day long. It's not going to expand your knowledge of the character of God. It's not going to help you grow in trust and dependence on God in any way. Like you're just fighting the battle in a different, in a different way. All you're going to do is tranquilize yourself. If that, like that's all you're doing, yeah. Numb your thoughts so that you don't have to like think anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know that there's different types of medication that's prescribed for anxiety along those lines, but that's one of the main ones. But I'm just trying to say that, um, like, you're just you're trying to fix a spiritual problem with something physical, and it's not going to work for one. You know, and all you're going to do is just be a drug addict for the rest of your life until you wake up, you know, or repent by God's grace, it's not going to help. Mm-hmm. And it has all these side effects and it reveals a deep seated distrust in the Bible and, and God. Yeah. I, I think back to a lot of different people that I've known over the years who have been prescribed antidepressants for their various, you know, uh, I guess, I guess they spiritual problems Yeah, their, <laughs> for their spiritual problems really. And, and I, I struggle to think of a single person who actually benefited from from taking antidepressants. Really, you will you will never, Harrison. You will never meet the person who is taking antidepressants who is filled with a confident trust in the character of God. <laughs> like you, you will never meet that person who is just overflowing with thanksgiving for the God who made them, and confidently trusting in the sovereignty of that God, uh, and um, and has this, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, sure anchor in their soul that knows that God has it under control. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And the pill is not going to produce it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that, especially, especially knowing the people that I've, I've spoken to, 
um, personally who would attest to the same thing that it just didn't help them. And oftentimes it made them feel worse overall than, uh, like you were saying, it, it has a lot of really negative side effects to it. Um, and and it reinforces in their mind this like notion that they're fundamentally to their core flawed in a way that's like irreparable. Mm hmm. Like that there's like there like so like you have to take this like and it's not like traditional medicine right it's called yeah. medicine but it's not it's not like healing anything like nothing's being fixed like you just what you're reinforcing in the mind of that individual is that they're fundamentally broken and damaged and almost i mean beyond repair and you know people have latched onto that broken label to describe right. themselves but i mean that's essentially like you're flawed you're fundamentally flawed and this medicine is never going to fix you it's just going to help you you know, it's like, uh, you know, you're like that, um, that wheel or whatever that has the duct tape around it forever. Right. Mm -hmm. It's fundamentally broke, you know, uh, and it's limping along and hobbling along and it, maybe it keeps you together, but like you're there, like, that's like, there's nothing that's more demoralizing than that kind of perspective of, yeah. of yourself when you think about it. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who are listening to this episode who are saying to themselves, "Hey, maybe, maybe I'm not the one who is personally uh, uh, being having to, uh, or is being overcome by anxiety, but perhaps there's someone I know, whether it's a family member, a friend, uh, whoever that is that is prone to anxiety. They are prone to worry. They are prone to." Uh, distrust God's promises. What would you say, uh, and what would you give in terms of advice to that person? How would you tell them to uh, minister to whoever this is that they know um, is is facing anxiety, is, is being and and probably being overcome by it? So, so the person who's trying to help the person who's yeah, overcome yeah, by the, it, the person who wants to minister to someone who is anxious or worried all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think you want to ask a lot of questions to figure out what you're even talking about. And so what kind of fear are we talking about here? You know, or what kind of uh, concern are we talking about here? And I think it, you know, a lot of it just depends on what kind of scenario are you in? You know, is this like the fear of judgment kind of anxiety uh, that comes from a defiled conscience? At that point you're, you know, talking to that individual about the basics of what it means to be a Christian and living a life worth living and turning from sin. Uh, so with that kind of person, that's, you want to give that kind of uh, help and that kind of advice and not just, uh, Hey, stop worrying a man. Cause that isn't going to help. Cause it's just something different, you know, and with the people who, you know, are worried, I, I don't know that the stop, stop it, you know, stop worrying, just repent of it is like, the only thing you say, you know, I'm not going to beat up on someone who comes along and says, Hey, you know, repent of it is wicked. I I'm normally kind of encouraged by the fact that they're thinking about it in a biblical way, but there's, there's more to it for sure. I mean, I think that uh, with that kind of person, what they need is they need to have like their view of God enlarged and expanded. Uh, they need to, you know, have, uh, you know, they, they need to have someone, talk through some very practical things. I mean, there's a lot of people who are worried and they're going to be worried for the rest of their life until they somehow start choosing more responsible actions, you know, that they need to take. 
and think through some of those things. And so like the kind of like person who's just worried and, you know, they're not, don't know how to find, they don't have a job and, you know, they're running out of money and, but then they refuse to look. I mean, that kind of person does need to have someone tell them to repent, but part of what they need to repent of is being so lazy and not looking. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, just depending on the situation that you find yourself in, I wouldn't go in and trying to fix everyone's medication issues. I mean, you know, if people just, you know, are on these drugs that you get, you know, you take, you, 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 um, you get off of them really quick. You can, you know, have crazy thoughts that you're on because you're so mastered by this chemical and there's safe ways to transition off of those things. Now I wouldn't declare war on the medication, uh, so, or, you know, the medication, um, I wouldn't declare war on that. I would just basically, uh, teach them to trust the Lord, teach them to read the Bible, you know, that kind of thing. F- focus on the areas that are, um, you know, like it's, it's very hard to imagine the kind of person who's reading the Bible, you know, three hours a day instead of watching Netflix three hours a day, who's filled with worry all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, often it's just like, they don't have enough in their brain to even know how to, (laughs) like they're just pursuing worthless things, uh, you know, and they don't know God at all. And so trying to think through, how can I help them to know God better? Um, It might be that the byproduct of that is that they don't worry as much, you know? So I wouldn't think about it in some kind of simplistic way. That basically just you take someone who's bone ignorant about the Bible who never reads it and then tell them, stop worrying. It's like, I can't. It's like, well, yeah, I get it. You don't know God. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I, oh, did you have more to say? No, no, that's fine. Okay. I, I think that, I think there's just not a one size fits all approach to that, yeah. but just, you know, don't let them put it, you know, I wouldn't, don't talk about it as if it's a medical problem. Talk about it as if it's a spiritual problem. Yeah. Uh, so reject the medical language, you know, reject that kind of worldview. Talk about sin, righteousness, judgment, repentance, trust, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. And I, and I get, I assume, you know, there's probably an element of some of the questions you're saying that you ask um, when we were talking about this earlier, uh, meaning, you know, hey, okay, so you're worried, you're anxious, why, you know, and depending on that, the answer to that question, uh, you you might have a few different questions that you ask. So if they say, Hey, I don't really know why I'm just anxious. or I'm worried all the time. Then, then you kind of want to start treating things like the, one of the first things you want to start asking about is, Hey, is there unrepentant sin in your life? You know, whatever. And then if, if the answer is, well, actually it's this specific thing, you know, I, I just lost my job and, you know, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. Then you start, you start saying, well, okay, let's look at what, what does God say about, you know, uh, money and provision, for example. And, and let's start looking at those things and seeing what does he promise? What does he not promise? And, yep. and kind of go from there. Yeah. So, you know, why are you anxious? I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to talk about how they're living their life and then confess sin. And, you know, if it's, I, you know, why are you anxious? Well, I'm worried because X, then, you know, certainly, um, one of the things I'll ask them is, Hey, have you asked forgiveness for it? You know, have you repented of it? And then, you know, good questions you can ask along those lines are just, what is your view of God in this situation? Mm -hmm. And you might get a lot of interesting 
responses to that one. I'm sure. <laughs> like, you know, what's your view of God in this one? Uh, and, uh, you know, I had a guy, I asked him that and it's just like, you know, I just feel like a dirty puppy in a white room <laughs> related <laughs> to God. But I mean, it's like, yeah, that, like, like there, that kind of individual feel, has a, you know, reason to worry. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. They're not confident about what they stand with God, period. So why would they confidently go to him in prayer? And a lot of times, like with individuals who are dominated by worry, there is this fundamental, they're, they're, they don't feel reconciled with God, period. Yeah. Uh, you know, or I've asked him, you know, I've asked him over and over and over again, he doesn't listen to me, he doesn't whatever, you know. And so you, like I would, you, you, you got to think through, like, what does it say about their relationship with God at that point and try to go there also. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I guess in closing, is there anything that you want to bring up that, that maybe we didn't touch on um, during the episode? Yeah, I mean, there's no more hopeless um, view than the view that anxiety or worry or just fundamentally a, a material problem. I mean, it's just a hopeless way to look at the world. Uh, I mean, I understand, you know, if you believe that people are basically good and you're sentimental about the nature of humanity and you take God out of the equation, we're just, you know, the product of random time and chance. I get how you get there. But then the problem is from a biblical worldview, like we're born sinners, we're born fundamentally at, at rebellion against God and their maker. And like the best thing that you can do, like honestly, is like if anxiety is a sin problem and worry is a sin problem, if, if these things are sin problems, like there's hope that you can repent of them and you don't have to be characterized by worry and anxiety your whole life. I mean, I can just look at my own life and see that there were times in my life where I was absolutely dominated by worry, anxiety, and fear. and like I, I can, you know, by, by tell you by the grace of God, my own testimony that I'm not mastered by these things anymore and haven't been mastered by these things like in any comprehensive way for years. I mean, I think everyone like goes in and out of times where they might be tempted to worry, uh, you know, even faithful Christians, but this, like you, you don't have to be dominated by these kind of things. And like, there's no more oppressive, hopeless situation than to get one of these stupid, ridiculous labels put on you to where you think fundamentally that this is going to be the rest of your life. If it's a sin, you can turn from it with God's help and by his grace. If it's sickness, you're just, you're in trouble, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think part of why we wanted to talk about this is, is just so many people, it seems, it seems like so many people are, uh, or it's an, inev an inevitability that people are going to be anxious or going to be worried. And, and the truth is God is, God has given us hope for this, that, that no other worldview can offer overall. And, and it does require us to humble ourselves and recognize that we've committed wrong, but then, the, the great thing is, you know, God says that he offers forgiveness to all those who ask, ask it of him. And so, uh, we can be, we can be reconciled back to God for these things. There's a hope there that is not going to be offered anywhere else. And so our hope is that this episode has been, um, helpful for you guys that it's been eye opening in certain ways. And certainly if you're the person who is, is dealing with uh, who, who is constantly worrying, who is constantly anxious all the time, then reach out to us at our email address, email us and, 
and let's get in touch and, and let's talk about these things. If, if you don't want to be mastered by these things anymore, reach out to us. And, and if you're the person who, who has friends or family uh, who, is, who is overcome by these things, who has let themselves be dominated by anxiety, then share this episode with them and tell them the same thing. They can reach out to us as well, and, and we'd be happy to uh, talk with them and, and counsel them through some of it. So we want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, really, really appreciate all the support, and we look forward to having you guys on the next episode. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting us through Patreon. If you would like to be Bible Bashed personally, then please know that we also offer free biblical counseling, which you can take advantage of by emailing us. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.